Greetings and welcome to the second NPC episode of IAR. For you noobs out there who are not gamers, just to remind you, an NPC is a non-playing character in a game. It is run by the computer program. A lot of gamers find it humorous to basically abuse these NPC characters in the game because it doesn't actually affect the game itself. So IAR's NPC episodes are about people who are being treated like NPCs or have been treated like NPCs in their own lives. And we're going to start this episode off with a little bit of Wiz Khalifa and Carly Puth. Been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. I see you again. We've come a long way. From where we began, you know we started. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. I'll tell you when I see you again. I especially want to point out that this past couple weeks have been very stressful for me. Basically because the cases that I am very interested in getting out there to you guys have like very little to no information, no coverage, and finding out the information, doing research on these things is not only really difficult, but they are, these cases I am looking at are so important. I have literally been in tears several times trying to find out, I'm going to cry now. Okay, <sighs> sorry. Trying to find out the information on these cases because what has happened to the people in these cases, just it hurts my heart. And I think it's really important to get it out there to the public so that they know what's been going on and some of these cases could be solved. So I'm gonna keep working on those, but I want you to know that while the case I'm gonna to present today is also very important, I am working diligently to get some of these really unpublicized cases out there and I'm doing my best so hopefully I can get you some of those sometime soon. Now the case I'm going to present to you is about a woman named Wendy Kahn. She went missing about four years ago and as if to prove the point about how hard some of these cases are to research, to find information about, to get that information out to you, Miss Sunny Shay V who has a YouTube channel posted a report on Wendy Kahn's disappearance on the 23rd of January, 2022. And this is what she had to say. I kid you not, I typed in on YouTube her name, maybe two uh, videos popped up and then like some Wendy Williams stuff popped up. And then it was like this, I don't know, it looked like a pageant queen or model popped up who maybe has the same name. And then I typed in her name and missing and there were like four or five videos, maybe. But I had to sift through other videos to find, like it just, social media and the presence of cases on social media is a very big reflection in this day of, in, of age of what's actually happening in real life, in real time. Cases get covered like it's nobody's business these days. So when there's a situation like this, where there are so many glaring red flags, crimson flags waving in the wind, and there's basically no coverage on platforms that cover this stuff constantly it's like okay come on that was in january it is now july 
I would say that the dearth of YouTube videos on Wendy's disappearance have gone down in quantity. Just to make my point, the ones that I really want to, to get out to you, the ones I really want to do podcast episode or five on, have even less information. As in pretty much zero. And for whatever that background noise is, I can't get rid of it. Not sure what's causing it, so I apologize. In May of 2018, Wendy Kahn had only recently moved back to Mankato, Minnesota from Pennsylvania. She had moved in with her long-term on-again, off-again boyfriend, Mohammed Bilal Choktai. 46-year-old Wendy had moved back to Minnesota to try to improve the relationship she had with her daughter, Anissa. And 19-year-old Anissa thought things had been going well. The day before Wendy went missing, Anissa and Wendy had been hanging out all day. In fact, Wendy's relationship with Muhammad had been kind of going south, and the two women were talking about moving in together. Anissa and Wendy had finally ended up back at Wendy's house that she shared with Muhammad. As the two women were chatting, Muhammad came home and immediately told Anissa she had to get out of his house. Wendy was upset with this because there was no reason why Mohammed should be kicking her daughter out of her house. The two got into an argument and Anissa decided she would just leave. And Anissa offered to let her mother come back with her to her own place because it seemed like her mother was a little bit uncomfortable around Mohammed. In fact, as Anissa was leaving, she saw Wendy kick Mohammed in the balls. Wendy did end up driving Anissa home, but she didn't stay with Anissa. She told Anissa everything would be fine, and she went back to her place with Muhammad. Anissa figured she was a 40-some-odd-year-old woman and could probably handle herself and didn't worry too much about it. She figured she'd just get in touch with her mom the next day and see how things were going. The following is from a Triple Falls podcast with Anissa Khan. So then I talked to her, tried calling her and texting her, uh, Saturday and she didn't pick up and I stopped by there and I looked in the windows her car was still in the driveway but her purse and her all that stuff was gone off the dresser because you can see like through the window <laughs> and then I was like okay like I'll give her Saturday maybe she like went somewhere with her boyfriend or whatever and then I called her Sunday after work and I kept calling her and calling her and she didn't answer and I called my dad. Anissa's dad had been divorced from her mother for most of Anissa's life however he and Wendy were amicable both he and Anissa went down to the police department to file a missing persons report. According to Anissa, this is how it went. So we went to file the police report that same night, and I showed this cop. It was a female cop. I don't remember what her name was, but she. I was, like, showing her all these text messages between me and my mom saying how, like, he's, like, her boyfriend's basically going psycho at this point. Like, saying all this, like, vulgar shit, whatever. Mm. And the cop was like, oh, she's playing the victim. I'm like, that was also from the Triple Falls interview. And wow, who says something like that to somebody who thinks their mom is missing? By the way, this is how Anissa felt when that cop made that statement. And I'm like, what? okay, like, oh you gosh. don't know this guy, like, at all. And like, that triggered me so mm -hmm. hard. I was like, basically, F you guys, like, you yeah. aren't taking this seriously. Like, what's it going to be, like, 10 years down the road for you to realize, like, oh, shit, like, this is actually, like, serious. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that was from the True Crime Rhymes with Vodka podcast. 
By the way, Anissa and her dad did not actually file a report that day. They left and came back the next day. And then they like started looking and then I feel like they just kind of like gave up looking. Now, I don't know that they gave up, at least at first. Several days later, Wendy's car was found behind the CVS and the tire was flat. There is a lot of rumor on the, on the web that the tire was slashed. It had been stabbed with a knife. So far, I have no actual hard evidence of that, but that is what is out there. But her car was found and the tire was flat. And the assumption was at that point that she had gone to the CVS because it was one that she used quite a bit. She had gone to the CVS to either, you know, drop off a prescription or pick one up. Started to drive home because the car was on a road and facing in the direction she would have gone to go home. So the assumption is she started to go home and the tire went flat on her and she had to get out. At that point, it is unknown whether she tried to walk home or somebody picked her up. Anissa says that her mom's not one to walk, so it's entirely possible somebody picked her up. Somebody was there to pick her up. Again, there is no there is no evidence of that. There's not even a suggestion of evidence of that. So, you know, that's just a possibility. They did search the river twice. The first time they searched it, the waters were really, really high. Minnesota at that time had gotten a lot of rain. Then they searched it again weeks later after the water level had gone down. Anissa was a bit worried that they were focusing on the river and not into the woods surrounding the river. I think she's got a point. However, I also want to point out that they do have only so much manpower and they were already focusing on the river and its banks. Not to say that I am excusing the lack of looking for Wendy Con, just saying that at that moment, they I think they were just trying to focus on the one thing that they had, which was pretty big, and that was the river, and didn't want to spread out their people too far, or they might miss something. And yes, I do know the irony in that statement. They did eventually call in the BCA, which is the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, that is Minnesota State's version of the FBI. Now, Mankato, Minnesota, it's a fairly big city, but in many ways it still has a small town mentality. So Mankato doesn't necessarily have all of the resources that a bigger city would have or a more crime-ridden city, to put it bluntly, would have. And so they have to, if they want to properly process forensically process a bigger crime scene or a bigger area and the suspicion that it might have evidence of a crime, they need to call in outside help. And the best place for them to do that in the state of Minnesota is the BCA. So they call in the BCA to process Wendy's house, which is also Muhammad's house. They spend, now some sources say eight, some say 10, but basically they spend all day going through the house, Mohammed spends the entire day in his car, which is a little bit interesting in and of itself. After all of that investigation, apparently nothing comes of it because what happens is the police essentially announce that there is no evidence to even have Mohammed as a person of interest in Wendy's disappearance and there is apparently no evidence of what may have caused her absence at the home. 
The way they handled this was a little bit interesting. Anissa says one morning she gets a call from a friend and the friend tells her they are crime scene people all over her mother's house. She says, I think they found your mom. I think she's dead. And so Anissa, of course, is freaking out and goes over there to find out what's going on. Talks to a member of the BCA and that BCA agent tells her, oh, this is just routine. And her thought, of course, is, well, you could have at least given me a heads up because I was thinking, you know, you found my mom, my mom's dead. As nothing turned up in that search, and apparently nothing turned up in the search of her car, I'm not 100% sure how that was handled. Anissa never really says, and of course the police and don't say anything. So nobody knows for sure what's going on about the car. The only thing Anissa knows and therefore the public has been told is that there was nothing in the car to suggest where Wendy may have gone. The insensitivity of the handling of the case has been one of the chief bugbears for the family in this, and I really don't blame them. I don't think this has been handled well. However, it is a very, very common theme in missing persons cases. I don't think they are handled well overall, and I'm going to address that a little bit further on in the podcast. Very recently, a 30-year-old woman named Sunday went missing in Mankato. And that family also has some serious problems with the way that case was handled. And due to that second case, which has not been handled well, the TV news did a segment on the two cases. So what comes up in the news now is that these two cases are linked. So please keep that in mind with the footage that I'm going to add in here in the rest of the podcast. This next clip is from KEYC, a station in Out of Mankato. It was published online on June 9th, 2022. And this one specifically talks about Sunday's case, but I think it goes to show the general attitude overall. We asked Associate Director of Public Safety Resources, Dan Schizzle, about Sunday's disappearance two days after she was last seen. This is an adult we're talking about, and... Adults can, you know, unless there's different circumstances, adults can choose to go places and do things. It wasn't until four days after Sunday's disappearance that a flyer was issued by authorities, and her case was considered urgent. The first thing I would like to say here is that I did not alter that in any way. Those pauses and that ever so eloquent speaking done by Mr. Shizzle was exactly the way it came off when he said them. Secondly, I would like to point out that further on in that same broadcast, the news station reported the following. But Assistant Director of Operations Jeremy Clifton says there's a few factors at play. You could categorize someone being called in as missing on whether or not that should be labeled as a high risk, a moderate risk, or a low risk if you're going to use those categories. Those aren't categories we use. What do you guys use? Is it all one? <laughs> I, I honestly just don't know. It's not, it's not all one. I would say that you're, going, you're basically on a sliding scale. You, if you're, we don't use a scale. There's really not a scale that we use in order to predict. We're going to look at the totality of all of the life circumstances and all of the factors leading up to a disappearance in order to gauge or determine whether or not um, the person's disappearance 
is problematic. So after he talked around himself a bit there, I have to ask, what about Wendy Kahn's disappearance made it not problematic? She had threatening texts from her boyfriend. There was no contact from her. She wasn't answering her phone. They found no activity on her credit cards or her bank accounts. And this was totally out of character for her. Her car was found abandoned. She left all of her things, including stuff she still had to go back to Pennsylvania to pick up. Anissa ended up having to do that. We also come to find out that Mohammed had a restraining order against him for his ex-wife and his children. And here are some of the specific threats. Didn't he have a history of, like, being violent with um, his ex-wife, like, saying something about burying her? I thought... I thought he I listened to, to that on ex-wife. the podcast or something. He was gonna kill his ex-wife with a baseball bat or something and bury her. And then mm. he said to my mom, like he was gonna basically same thing, kill my mom and put her in a dumpster or something mm. like that. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? And that was from the True Crime Rhymes with Vodka interview. Mohammed actually sold the house after Wendy went missing, but for whatever reason, he never showed up to claim the money that he made from that sale. Granted, I'm not 100% positive how this happens when usually all that is done at the signing, but in any case, he not only did not show up to get that money, he completely abandoned everything and vanished. Now, he was stopped mid-2020 by the Border Patrol down by Mexico. He would not tell them who he was, and so they had to take him in and get him fingerprinted to find out who he was. Once they determined that this was Mohammed Bilal Chugtai, they also noticed that he had warrants out for his arrest in not only Minnesota, but the surrounding states. And yet, they let him go. Anissa also tells about how she has been treated by the Mankato Police Department even just two years after her mother went missing. I asked them, I was like, what are you guys doing now? Like, like is this like still an active case? Like, whatever. They yeah, told it. me that that wasn't their top case anymore because they were working on a homicide case or something at that time, which was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, I'm like two years in this shit and like you guys yeah. haven't done shit for me or my family. Like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sound insensitive, but this could be a homicide case. Like, yeah. So you guys are just going to yeah. and and for them to say that to you is just like, yeah. Ugh. But um, I told the cops, I was like, I don't want it to be like, five years 10 years down the fucking road and still have to be dealing with this shit you know like i tired after two Mm -hmm. like and they're like they're such dicks dude they're like we don't have a crystal ball like we can't tell you the future and i'm like i'm not asking you to tell me the fucking future i was like i'm asking you to help me find my fucking mom yeah Yeah. whether she's dead or alive i want fucking answers at this point like i'm fucking tired and i think the following illustrates what is so wrong with treating a missing person's case like it's not important until you actually find a body. The public release of the flyer was one of several delays the families pointed out. Not days, not weeks. We're talking really about hours of time go on. It heightens our need to go employ more resources to find an individual. Contrary to Clifton's remarks, it took police one week in Wendy's case and two weeks in Sunday's to bring in the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. The search for Sunday came to an end when a canoeist found a body in Eagle Lake, 18 days after she disappeared. And that was from the KEYC Mankato broadcast from last month. Wendy is still missing. Look, I know that 
A lot of people who are reported missing actually aren't missing. And they're found within a few hours because they just happened to be at the mall or their car broke down somewhere and they just needed some help getting home. But how hard is it? You know, if somebody calls in and wants to do a welfare check, you go and do a welfare check. I don't understand why this reporting of a person missing is any different than a welfare check. At least do the welfare check. And in Wendy Kahn's case, when you did the welfare check, you should immediately notice not only was were the police already shown the scary texts she was getting from her boyfriend, but a quick search on who this boyfriend is would find out he's got all these warrants and he's got a restraining order for abusing his ex-wife. You know, those are kind of critical signs that, hey, maybe this woman that's gone missing really isn't just taking a moment to breathe. She might actually be missing, especially when her daughter says, hey, she talks to me all the time and I haven't been able to get a hold of her for hours and hours, like since yesterday. This is not normal. Not only is it her daughter there reporting it, but her ex-husband. I mean, that in and of itself should say something because most ex-husbands, you know, I hate to say it, but they wouldn't be down there helping their daughter report their ex missing because it was not an amicable relationship. But in this case, he's there to sort of back her up. And so what their spokesperson Shizzle said was correct. She was an adult and had a right to go do things that she felt like doing. But <laughs> there are problems with that train of thought and there are problems with what he said specifically because yes, we have a right as adults in the US to go missing. We, we also have rights to be protected against bad guys and to be helped and looked for and found if we're missing, if we're murdered, if there's something wrong. That is your job when you are in law enforcement. In the UK, it is also not illegal to go missing. You're not breaking the law. However, you have a right to be safe in your own country. So for your right to go missing and not be found, the police will still look for you to make sure you are safe and well. They will meet you in person. And then once they have done that, they will close their investigation. And if there are any family members involved who have reported you're missing, the police will pass on the information, whatever you have deemed correct to give to them. They will pass on that information that you are healthy and, and safe and anything else you may want those people to know. And that's it. You have a right to your privacy, but they will still go look for you. Okay, so this comes from the United States Congressional Research Service. It is called Missing Adults Background, Federal Programs and Issues for Congress. Updated August 23rd, 2019. Just talking about the NCIC. I know there are a couple different databases. This one specifically says, and I quote, the NCIC missing persons file includes records for individuals who are missing because they have a proven physical or mental disability, are missing under circumstances indicating they may be in physical danger, 
are missing under circumstances indicating their disappearance may not have been voluntary, are under the age of 21 and do not meet the above criteria, are missing after a catastrophe, or are 21 and older and do not meet any of the above criteria, but for whom there is a reasonable concern for their safety, end quote. Now, I'm thinking, Wendy fits a couple of those. One, proven physical or mental disability. Now, granted, she, I know she was on meds. I don't know what those meds are. My guess were they were for her mental stability. The way Anissa talks about it, the same way Anissa talks about her own medication, I have no confirmation of that, but it does kind of sound that way. I don't know that, that it's a full-blown disability, but there's definitely an indicator there that there may be some reason mentally that she may have vanished, and that right there gives you cause to go look for her. The missing under circumstances indicating physical danger. Uh, let's see scary text messages from her boyfriend and a boyfriend who has multiple warrants out and a restraining order against himself so that he cannot see his wife or children. I think that's an indication of possible physical danger. Missing under circumstances that indicate they may not have been missing voluntarily. The car with a flat tire. The fact that she did not use any of her credit cards, her bank accounts, her phone, and had not contacted anybody who cares about her and has been in contact with her. That's, that's, I know that one's a bit of a gray area, but there is a potential there that her disappearance may not have been voluntary. And then the last one, that she doesn't meet any of the criteria, but for whom there is a reasonable concern for their safety. Um, I think that fits. So saying that she's an adult and has a right to go missing in this instance is wrong, according to the United States Congressional Research Service. And this does not help Wendy, or and it certainly did not help Sunday, but there is a new prototype program out called the Ashanti Alert Act of 2018. So technically it could have helped, but like I said, it's a prototype, so it's still sort of in the work. It is for adults, just like the Amber Alert for children. It is for alerting for adults who have gone missing or may have been kidnapped to help find those people. Wendy Lynn Khan went missing on June 1st, 2018. She went missing at age 46 and now would be 50 years old. She went missing somewhere in Mankato, Minnesota. She is five foot five and approximately 160 or 280 pounds. Her hair at when she went missing was red or auburn. Her eye color was green and she is in NamUs, so look her up. That's the end of today's NPC edition of It's All Relative and I will see you out with Green Day. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. <laughs>